The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 14 this morning. Keep your Bible open. It's printed correctly in your bulletin. It's also in the screen behind me. But notice we'll be looking at verses 27 through 31. And then also we'll skip down. This is Peter's denial narrative. And then we'll skip down to verses 66 through 72. If you're looking for a distinctive in Christianity, you have it here in this passage and in the passages that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. Just look at the founders of all the major religions of the world. Buddha died at 80, surrounded by his followers and surrounded by his friends and disciples. Confucius died at 72 in his hometown, very much the same way, surrounded by his family and his friends. Muhammad, founder of Islam, dies blissfully in the arms of his wife. What about Jesus? How did Jesus die? Jesus, at the age of 33, we're going to see this morning and over the next couple of weeks, he dies utterly alone. Hanging from a cross, abandoned by his friends, this is the theme for the next couple of weeks, condemned by his enemies and rejected by his own father. The theme running, again, beginning this morning, running through really the rest of the Gospel of Mark is the theme of abandonment. I'm going to see that very clearly this morning. Follow along with me as I read God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Mark 14, we'll start 27 through 31, then we'll skip down. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And here's a phrase I haven't noticed, believe it or not, until this week as I was studying this passage. And they all said the same. We typically think it was only Peter. Well, Peter was the loudest and the spokesperson, but the picture is they're all behind him saying, yeah, we're with Peter. (laughs) They're all saying the exact same thing. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. The servant girl 
saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. This is God's word. A friend of mine told me a story this week. It was a couple of years ago, it was on social media, and you'll see these kinds of things on social media from time to time. If you're on social media, uh, they'll kind of get passed around. But a journalist by the name of Nicole Cliff asked the users, just put out a question, uh, what is, he, she was asking them to reveal their oldest and most cherished grudge. And as you can imagine, her account was just filled with responses, and one of the responses read this, read like this, my friend's mother has the craziest grudge routine. If someone crosses her, she will immediately demand to know their full name, and then she will take that name, and she will write it on a small piece of paper, the full name in ink, and she will slip that piece of paper into an ice cube tray. And she will put it in the freezer until it freezes, and then she will take it out and put those ice cubes in a plastic bag. In her freezer, she has this plastic bag full of frozen ice cubes with people's names who have crossed her or have, we could say, abandoned her or who have failed her in some way. When Hurricane Sandy came, was threatening in, the one thing she was most concerned about was that the bag would defrost. And you hear that story and you think, that sounds crazy. But does it really? You see, we all have our plastic bags, don't we? Think about it. How would you respond? How, how do you respond when someone abandons you or when someone betrays you in some way? Let me get more specific as we're t- talking about this passage. How do you respond in life's most vulnerable moments when you need someone the most and they fail you or leave you or abandon you in some way? You see, if we're honest, we all have a bag. And oftentimes when people leave us, in, especially in critical moments, we cancel them. We say things like, I'm done with you. I will have nothing to do with someone who treats me like that ever again. Well, thank goodness Jesus is not like us. Thank goodness that Jesus does not cancel us the way we cancel other people who have failed us. This morning, 
We're going to see that Jesus does not give the disciples and he does not give Peter and he does not give us what we deserve when we abandon and fail him. We are faithless. Jesus remains faithful. And Jesus actually receives what we deserve on Good Friday, doesn't he? He receives the death that we deserve and we get grace and mercy, and restoration. Three things I want us to see this morning in this passage, three headings, the revelation, the response, and the restoration. Revelation, response, and restoration. That's where we're headed. Let's look at our first heading, the revelation. Look at verses 27 through 31 this morning. Jesus reveals two things here in these first few verses, one about himself And the other about the disciples. Look at verse 27. The first he reveals about himself. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That is actually, anytime we see it is written, Jesus is quoting the Bible. That is from Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. And in that context, the I is God. The I is the Father, and so it is God who is going to strike the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Jesus is the shepherd, isn't he? We know that from John chapter 10. Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. And so here's what we see right from the beginning, that Jesus is doing it again, and he's done it over and over in these last few chapters of the gospel of Mark he is predicting his death and I want you to think about how difficult this would have been for Jesus those closest to him that had been with him for three years he's about to predict that they're going to leave him and he's saying here that his father is going to be the one who will strike him that brought pain didn't it yes it brings deep pain But also, doesn't it bring a measure of comfort and peace? Because we see that, especially in these last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark, that everything is happening right on schedule. According to God's perfect plan, nothing is out of place Nothing, not even the cross that we'll get to on Good Friday, is happening by chance. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, talking about Jesus, it says, The Lord will crush him. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus was delivered up according to chance. That's not what it says. Jesus was delivered up according to what? God's definite plan and foreknowledge and so as painful as this would have been he recognized that this was God's plan and he trusts the father we'll see this next week won't we in the garden of Gethsemane not my will but your will be done Jesus knew that not one blow would fall upon him that was unnecessary for the salvation of humankind 
God, his father, was in control of all things, even his death, and that strengthened Jesus and gave him resolve in these hard last days of suffering and abandonment. And did you notice here that uh, that is strengthening Jesus, but there's also something else strengthening Jesus in these last moments, in these hard moments of life. It's obvious, but again, easy to miss, and we miss the obvious. But what comes out of Jesus in these moments? The Bible. Every time Jesus is squeezed by life, out comes Scripture. We'll see, we saw that in the wilderness when he's tempted by Satan. We see it here. We'll see it on the cross. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? What's that? That's a psalm. He's quoting the scriptures. Verse 27, it is written. Now, did that take away the pain? The fact that God's in control and he's resting on scripture, did it make it all better and make it all go away? Absolutely not. But you know what it did do? It enabled Jesus to endure faithfully, and it also gave him perspective. And the same is true for us this morning in our suffering. The same is true for us in our fear and loneliness. You see, in our pain, in our suffering, at least for me anyway, what tends to happen is when that comes into our lives, we immediately turn inward and become extremely self-absorbed. And the, the application here is to exercise faith by not looking inward, but by looking upward and focusing on what God is doing in our circumstances and in our suffering to see God's footprints and handprints. And when we can't see them, we by faith know that they are there. And that even if we can't understand and even if we can't see them, that God in the midst of our chaos and suffering is working out his perfect and good plan in the world. How do we exercise that faith? Again, think about the passage. We hold on to scripture and we say over and over, it is written, it is written, God is good. He has not left me. And so we anchor ourselves in the word of God. It's what my mom is doing. Many of you know my mom has stage four cancer. How is she making it? She will tell you. Faith saying over and over, God, I don't understand, but I know you have not left me. I know you're in this, even though I don't understand. And she gets up every morning and she reads the Bible. And when she can't believe it, she has her community in her church that hold her arms up and help her to believe it when she cannot believe it herself. Jesus is the shepherd who will be struck down and very quickly notice he also reveals to the disciples that they are the sheep who will be scattered. Verse 27 and 30, Jesus says, you will fall away, the sheep will scatter and before the night is over, the rooster will crow, and you will deny me three times. Verse 27, the disciples would have known who the sheep were. They would, again, they heard John 10. Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, you are the sheep, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. The difficult moments of the disciples, I think we talked about Jesus, but think about the disciples. This is their leader 
who will be struck down, and Jesus is saying that they are going to leave him when he needs them the most. How would you have responded in this moment? Well, let's look at our second point and see how the disciples respond. So he predicts they're going to scatter, and look at the response in verse 29. Peter says, even though they will all fall away, I will not. Because I'm better than them. I'm stronger than them. I'm more committed than them. And look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Peter, I hate to tell you, but you won't even make it through the night. And Peter responds, verse 31, he fires back with a raised voice emphatically. I must die with you. I will not deny you. Again, lots here, but I want to notice, I want you to notice something as it relates to the first point. What does Peter do? Again, obvious, but we miss the obvious, and I think this is really important. Peter rejects God's word. Doesn't he? He rejects Jesus' authority. He doesn't listen. To what Jesus is saying to him. Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. And Peter essentially says, no, we won't. <laughs> you're wrong. You're not uh, accurate in what you are saying, Jesus. I don't believe you. Notice he responds the opposite to the way Jesus responds. Instead of receiving and resting in the word of God, Peter argues and what happens in the midst of Peter and the disciples suffering and in the midst of their pressure? They scatter. When the pressure gets turned up, all they see is their circumstances and their suffering and their vision was filled with danger and opposition rather than listening to Jesus and believing Jesus and trusting Jesus and his word. You see, the proper response here, and I hinted at it last week, would have been submission. Would have been, Jesus, we believe you. We know what's in our hearts. Have mercy on us and strengthen us in those moments when we need you the most in our weakness. But instead, they argue. And so the question is where has Jesus clearly spoken to you through his word about something and you're arguing instead of submitting to him? Where is that happening in your life this morning? The other thing we see that Peter does is he responds not with neediness, but he responds with spiritual pride. How do we see that? Verse 29, look with me. He thinks he's better than everyone else. Peter thinks he's the exception to the rule. Where they fall and fail, I will be strong. And when we take a posture of spiritual pride and a posture of strength, friends, we are forgetting who we are. I've thought about this a lot this week, this picture of we teach in our world, everybody's trying to grow into adulthood and we're trying to teach our kids to grow into independence so that they don't need anything. 
And as adults, we often act as if we don't need anything. We want to be independent. We want to be helped. The Christian, we, we want no help. The Christian life is the complete opposite. The Christian life is about relating to God and help as a helpless, vulnerable, and dependent child. And so often in the Christian life, we think things like, I've been a Christian for many, many years. I used to struggle with that a long time ago, but I'm mature now. I'm good. I don't struggle with that anymore, that pattern or that temptation or that sin pattern. I got this. I don't need any help right now. That's often inside of our hearts, and instead of going that direction, we are to work backwards in the Christian life into dependence and neediness like little children. It is when we are weak and dependent and when we don't trust ourselves that we are actually the healthiest, spiritually speaking. But it's when you are strong or you think you're strong, and you're spiritually arrogant and overconfident like Peter, that you are in the most and greatest danger. Think about this passage here. Peter's at the height of his pride and strength, and he does in that moment the thing that he never said he would do. Why? Because he forgot who he was. He forgot that he was a helpless, needy child who desperately needed Jesus. There's an old song by Phil Keggy. The song is titled, It Could Have Been Me. And it was written about a Christian leader who fell into sin and out of ministry. Listen to these words. I heard the news today that another soldier tumbled... A fragile warrior slipped and fell from grace. And the vulture swooped in to tear his heart apart and pin him to the ground. And from the shadow, someone took his place. Today, we talk amongst ourselves. We never bought his words. We say that we've seen the madness in his eyes. Tomorrow, he's forgotten as we've scrubbed him from our hearts. And as he bleeds, we slowly turn our eyes. But it could have been me. It could have been me, the one who lost my grip and fell. It could have been me, the one who's always standing tall. For unless you hold me tightly, Lord, and I can hold on to you too, then tomorrow in the news, it could be me. It could be me. Do you believe that this morning? Do you have that kind of curiosity and self-awareness about your own hearts? Or do you hear stories about someone falling into sin or see someone else's life? Do you instinctively say, that could be me? That's how fragile this all is. Or do you, in spiritual pride and arrogance, think that you are the exception to the rule, thinking that you're better than everyone else? Friends, the Bible teaches that given the right situation and the right circumstances, any of us is capable of anything. 
And this passage is a warning against spiritual pride. And it's also a call for us to watch our hearts and to stay humble and to stay curious about what's going on on the inside of us. Lastly, the restoration. Look at verses 66 through 72. I want to simply walk through these verses. So look at your Bibles and let's walk through these together. So look at 66 and 67. Jesus is on the second floor. He's in a trial at the palace of the high priest. It's cool. It's the springtime. And so he's warming himself around a fire. And a servant girl sees him and thinks that she recognizes him as someone who had been with Jesus. Verse 68, Peter panics. He denies Jesus. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then it says, he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. Notice the change of location for Peter. And every commentator pointed this out, that it places Peter further away from Jesus. Remember, Jesus is above at a trial, and so this was symbolic. He moved himself further away, which was a picture of what was going on in Peter's heart at the moment. Jesus is above him, and he has in front of him power, political power, and Jesus is telling the truth. And just below, Peter has in front of him someone who had no power, a teenage girl, and he's lying and denying that he ever knew Jesus at all. The heat gets turned up. Look at verse 69. The girl says to the bystanders, this is one of them. Verse 70, he denies it again. And we learn from the other gospels that there was some time in between the second and the third denial. And so that means that, G- that Peter had time to examine his heart. He had time to remember what Jesus had said. He had time to go to this teenage girl and say, listen, I blew it. You were right. I was with Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm with him. And he doesn't correct it. And so they do not let up on Peter. Instead, they say, certainly one of them, you're one of them because you have the accent of a Galilean. That's what they're saying there. Verse 71, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. To be clear, he's not using bad language here. It's not what it's saying. He's swearing an oath. He's saying, I promise you, I swear to you that I do not know this man, and you may put me to death if I'm not telling the truth. That's what he's saying. And so think about this. Peter, Mark chapter 8, goes from saying, Jesus, you are the Christ to now saying, I don't know this man. To not even, think about this, not even using his name. Verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered, he remembered in this moment. Now he remembered what Jesus had said. He didn't listen to Jesus earlier. 
He remembers now, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he breaks down and he weeps. In Luke's account of this story, it's very interesting. After Peter makes the third denial, Luke says that Jesus, he's up above, looks at Peter. Can you imagine? Looks at Peter and then he weeps bitterly. Sinclair Ferguson says that was to be his salvation. For in that moment, in the eyes of Jesus, were not eyes of condemnation, but eyes of compassion. Friends, that's the point of the story. This is the turning point in Peter's life. Peter finally saw himself for who he really was. Do you see yourself for who you really are this morning? He finally saw himself for who he really was, that he was someone who was weak, and needy, and that he was, in fact, like a child. And so the real question, isn't it the million-dollar question? How is Jesus going to respond? How will Jesus treat Peter, who is a complete and utter failure? Will he cancel him? Will Jesus put him in the ice tray, in the freezer bag? No. Because Jesus is good and he is gracious. How do we see that? Look at verse 28. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And what's interesting, and you can look there in Mark chapter 16, verse 7 Jesus has been resurrected, and at the empty tomb, it says, Go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he had told you. The disciples in that moment would have known right away and would have recognized and known known that Jesus had mentioned that before. Friends, that was Jesus' way of saying, I won't cancel you. You left me, but I will not leave you. I will not put you in the ice tray. I died for you on Good Friday. I rose again on Easter. It is finished. And your failure, yes, your failure, Peter, your utter and complete failure has been paid in full. And we know from the rest of Peter's life and the rest of the story, because we have it in John chapter 21, that Jesus restored Peter. Over breakfast, over a meal, remember that from last week? Significant things happening over a meal. And remember he asked Peter, do you love me, Peter? How many times did Jesus ask Peter that question? Three. That was Jesus' way of saying, I forgive you. And I do not love you any less. You see, what Peter the strong needed was to know that Jesus loved Peter the weak. And he got the answer to that question. And it changed Peter's life. Because think about the book of Acts. What happened in Peter's life? He went on to be a pillar and a leader in the early church, writing books of the Bible. He ended up eventually dying for Jesus. And when we hear the story of Peter, 
Our temptation is to think on this story, wow, even uh, Peter can be used by God. And if that's our, what we're leaving with, we've totally missed the point. Because, friends, the point of this passage is that, no, it's not that uh, God can use a guy like Peter. It is that God only uses people like Peter. Because think about the Christian life. The Christian life is not about strength. It's about weakness. God's power is made perfect in Weakness. You see, in the Bible, what we see over and over and over again, great failures make great followers of Jesus because they know a great forgiveness. And so what is your unshakable failure this morning? What is the thing that you've never told anyone? What is the thing in your life that makes you feel for certain that if anybody knew, particularly Jesus, you would be canceled and written off and put in the ice tray? What is the thing in your life that you cannot shake? What is the thing that you've done that you wished you hadn't? This passage, and please hear this, this is good news Because it tells you that Jesus, that God loves failures and not only loves them, but he restores them. You see, it was the love of Jesus that melted Peter's heart and restored him. It's the love of Jesus that will melt your heart and restore you this morning. And so will you come to Jesus this morning as we come to this table? Jesus really is better than you think. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, for your patience and your grace. We ask this morning that you would forgive us for our spiritual pride, for thinking too highly of ourselves, for not listening to you when you tell us things. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us up, that you would help us to exercise faith that you would give us a love and hunger to fill ourselves up with the word of God. We also pray that you would give us the ability to see ourselves clearly for who we really are. But in that, we wouldn't be despairing, but we would run to you because you truly are our only hope. And would you help us, Holy Spirit, to believe that you really do love us in our failure. In Jesus' name, amen.